Good evening. You're listening to Three Moves Ahead. I am Len. I am your host for this week, and I am joined by our friend, Dr. Brett Devereaux. Yo. And by my former NoCB co-host, Father Loris. Hello. Not a doctor. Just <laughs> local idiot. Um. <laughs> to be fair, I, I'm not a useful kind of doctor, right? No one... <laughs> No one is ever going to stand up on a plane and like desperately require to have some Latin translated. <laughs> Quick, we need an, an analysis of the, the social dynamics of the late Republic. Oh is anybody here? Uh, uh, um, yeah. Um, well, we are here uh, a little bit past the first anniversary uh, to talk about Victoria three, one year later, it is, um, a uh, you know grand strategy game set in the Victorian age from Paradox, as I'm sure pretty much everybody listening to this probably already knows. And uh, it got off to a little bit of a rough start, shall we say. Um, maybe not as rough as, as Imperator Rome, um, but uh, the, the community, I think, quickly cooled on it. <laughs> Might be the... Yeah. <laughs> The most diplomatic way to say it. Um, Loris, I know. Uh, so we're going to be talking a little bit about the, the updates that have happened over the course of the last year, where it is now, particularly the big 1.5 update, which was one of those like huge swing for the fences kind of paradox overhaul updates that they, they like to do sometimes. Um, but Loris, I know even at launch, uh, you were you were. Uh, you were kind of ahead of me, I think, on realizing Victoria 3 had some fundamental issues that, you know, they became apparent to me later. But I think you were you kind of caught on to them a bit quicker. What would you say were the main issues with Victoria 3 at launch? Oh, gosh, where to start? I mean, there's, there's, <laughs> there's, so, there's, there's so many like really core design issues um, from Warflare to Diplomacy to the way politics work, way pops uh, aren't aren't really particularly meaningful, um, and and a core gameplay loop. Um, I mean, it's it's a it's a sort of top down uh, design disaster that, that needs like some really fundamental reworks. And um, maybe in the last year, those those re- reworks have not been particularly forthcoming. I don't think. Um, which is which is a shame. I, I guess we can go through each each part separately. I guess because because yeah. Well, what what do you think is like the thing you would say is like most emblematic of the issues with Victoria Three? Well, I think if you ask basically anyone who who bounced off the game, which which is a, quite a substantial amount of people, as far as I'm aware, um, but the number one thing they would talk about is like warfare, um, and I think warfare is quite emblematic because. Uh, it's 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 got this design where you are um they've gotten rid of these stacks the traditional stack based system that you get with grand strategy games which is which in my opinion is 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 fine as as a principle um because theoretically you could um not have so much player attention focused on moving troops around and you could switch that player focus to be uh really engaged in I guess home front gameplay. Um, however, um, the way that it's designed is you have this front base system where the fronts are constantly splitting, and you have to reassign your troops. And the entire 
uh, war, uh, any war in the game is is won or lost by micromanagement. So you got a good concept, and then it's completely betrayed by its design. And I think that is basically completely common for um, <laughs> for basically every system in Victoria Three. Uh, um, good good idea, completely betrayed by its its core design. If that makes sense. Gotcha. Um, Brett, you and I have not talked as much about Victoria three over the last year as, as Loris and I have. So I'm curious, what is, what has been your relationship with Victoria three in the first year of its uh, release? Um, so I'm, I'm probably going to be the one defending this game a lot. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I think it is worth admitting that, um, the, that some of its systems launched in a rough state and, and warfare, obviously most of all. And I don't think, the process of overhauling is necessarily finished, though it does seem to me that meaningful progress has been made. The front splitting issue, for instance, is not as bad in 1.5, although the AI still occasionally makes some really odd decisions about prioritizing fronts. Um, in, in particular, the AI tends to recognize what's going to be the main front of a war, and it prioritizes that often at the cost of not guarding its home territory at all, um, which is sort of really strange. Like the entire French army has repositioned on the Eastern front because like, this is where the war is going to be. And like, yes, but you should probably have somebody in Alsace-Lorraine, right? Um, But, um, but, but I, 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 I think the, the basic design of the warfare system, the basic idea of fronts was, a good one. I stacks are, I think, an awkward fit for this period, especially for the yeah. later part of it. As veterans of of Victoria Two will remember, the sort of weird way that stacks ended up not making any sense for World War One. Um, and so, I think the front system is a good idea. I, I think it's like seventy five percent of the way to being I think where it ought to be. I think it's a good concept. I agree with you. Like stacks. Uh, are not particularly good for it. And it's not particularly good for the gameplay, right? Because if you're if you're a globe-spanning empire, which a lot of countries were in this time period, fiddling mm. around with fronts and micromanaging, um, fiddling around with stacks, sorry, on a global scale is incredibly annoying. Um, late EU4 has been saying a similar sort of issue if you're, if yeah. you're playing a colonial game. Um, you're fighting in Europe and, oh God, there's some stack wandering around in America and it's really annoying. Um, there's a stack wandering around in Asia where you've got some trade companies also really annoying so i think in principle it's good i just i just think that they, they haven't quite sorted the design like the, the situation where you're talking about where the ai is prioritizing certain fronts well i i think that's always going to happen so long as fronts uh are basically defined by um just a border a, a, like a line between two nations uh because those those lines are going to split and the ai won't be able to work out which one's the important front and which one to defend with all their troops. Um, because how do you math, how do you apply, how do you have a mathematical formula for that? Like how do you, how do you mm-hmm. mathematically decide what is the important front? So as a player, you can move like, I don't know, say there's two fronts and you're fighting in Russia and there's one in like the Caucasus and there's one in Eastern Europe. Um, as a player, you could go, well, I could, I could have said, a huge stack of troops to the Caucasus and they're going to push up north to Moscow. Um, 
MEI doesn't really know what to do with that. So maybe they'll send a load of troops down to the Caucasus and then the player goes, ah, well, I'll send all my troops to Eastern Europe and then they'll push into... <laughs> you can just, you can, you can basically uh, duke and micro the AI out of any war, which is not something you want to be doing because that's, that's the problem with fronts, uh, with, a, with a stacks too, right? Because you have to focus all your attention on, on all these bits all around the world and it's, it's, it still has that core problem. <laughs> <laughs> so even yeah. even in eu4 in like the league war just like having to play on speed too and constantly micro stacks around yeah i i feel like there has to be a better way to do it but um yeah you victoria almost, three you almost wonder if yet. if the direction that they should go which will cause the fan base to self-combust is to actually abstract warfare even more get rid of fronts entirely. The whole thing plays out in numbers and a result kicks out and you have no control. You declare war and then that's it. Um, but I think I think the player base would explode. Yeah, and also I just... Oh, absolutely. I don't think yeah. it would be I, satisfying gameplay if you did that too, right? Like, so no, you have to, you have to mean, hit this point where it's it doesn't require all your attention. Uh, yeah. Maybe it requires some of your attention, but most of the attention is focused on the home front and (laughs) there's no real easy answer to it i've got a few ideas of how they could make it better um but you know i don't think fronts are solving it at all well um and i don't think that the feedback from 1.5 has been particularly positive among people who didn't like the warfare system before if you like i mean i think part of the issue at least as as i gauge the community is that a lot of people want a system whereby they can be napoleon and win the battles by superior maneuver yeah and i think i think that's clearly not where paradox wants to take this game and frankly i think they're probably right not to want to take it that way i think the issue is ironing out the problems in the front system and in their defense this is a relatively new way to do a warfare system that few games have attempted um if you look at say the journey that the hearts of iron games have had getting their warfare systems to work (laughs) i I, i'm willing to extend the vicky three team a little more rope to get this entirely new system functional um i don't know i think fronts are going in the right direction i think i think as uh, i think they have to just move away from how fronts are defined i think that's the core problem the core problem is fronts are defined by um, a line between uh, opposing factions, and there'll always be breaks in that line. And so long as a break happens, that break requires micromanagement. So if you change the way the fronts are defined, um, I think that's the best way of solving it. Personally, I think I think that's the best solution. I would... So, I would, would- I like my, Would you my see personal... it as more like regional theaters or? Well, I, I'm thinking because like if you have a regional theater, if you have a bulge out of another regional theater, that's another split. So you have to figure a yeah. situation where you, you can get a split. And the best solution I think I've came up with after, frankly, way too much thought of this. <laughs> it's become the, an obsession for me for like a year. Um, would be like a sort of blob-based armies. If you imagine like mobile... Uh, large mobile E4 forts where they uh, you move the army and it occupies uh, an area around it. Oh, interesting. I think that, and they engage uh, other armies as the two 
blobs push into each other. I think that's the the best solution I've come up with it because they they don't split. It has a certain level of um, not micromanagement, but like macromanagement. So you could send the army to push into another blob, but it doesn't require on the spot attention, um, which I think is a pretty good situation for Vicky warfare to be in. Well, um, it's like the, th- that, that, the th- yeah. Oh yeah. Go ahead. You can go ahead. I think there's a little bit of a delay because you're literally on the other side of the world right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's why there might be a little more crosstalk than usual. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, yeah. No, so like I, one idea I kind of had, cause like the thing you can't do currently, I feel like is, like if you wanted to do like the Kaiser Schlacht, like there's there's not really a way to do that at this point. Mm-hmm. You, no, no. you could have the Western Front that's all built up and you could have your generals on defense and then, oh, I'm going to set one of them to offense and put a strategic target on Paris. And it's like and maybe they'll do something. <laughs> but it, like there's there's not really there's not really a way to very directly channel the initiative of your army toward an objective yeah um i'd also love to see them implement something that resembles the planning system in hearts of iron 4 in mm -hmm. that you could stockpile resources and rev up and then deliver a stronger attack in the hopes that that will push the front line forward in a way that just steadily chipping away at your like right now you just have to attrit them down um and so I'd, I'd like to see something like that um, because I think right now the one problem I, I tend to find that I run into with the warfare system is either you have more offense than your opponent has defense, which means usually that you outclass them, in which case you push forward inexorably to victory, or you don't, in yeah. which case you have to attrition down all of their armies before the front begins to move. And that makes a lot of sense for 1914 but not for 1860 yeah that's right um and um and so the ability to do something like okay i'll go on the defensive build up supply depots build up artillery and then deliver a really powerful attack in the hopes that it will shift the front line forward in a decisive way for instance getting to the enemy's capital or to a war goal which changes the way war exhaustion is calculated um and they already have the ability to more or less tell your armies when you go on the offensive, go here. Um, so mm-hmm. I think I think an ability to to rev up for a punch would be really useful, and it would give you a level of control that isn't micromanagey, but is still impactful and meaningful. Yeah, I, w- I would like that sort of mm-hmm. mechanic too. Yeah, yeah. Or and then or alternately, yeah. you could just be Luigi Cadorna and order your army to attack with no preparation eleven times in the same <laughs> damn. <now. laughs> Which is kind of how it works now. It's kind of like everybody is Luigi. That's, that's right. In fact, in fact you, have to, yeah. you have to engage. Everybody, everybody is Luigi Cadorna. That is the most horrifying sentence I think I have heard on this podcast. You have to Oops, engage. All I Sanzo. Yeah. Um, you have to engage in yeah. like intense amounts of micromanagement if you don't want that to be the case, right? Because you have to go into each of the army, yeah. meddle around with each of your generals, make sure they're not attacking at certain times. And and, and also you can't change the order when they're like being attacks which you can which is right. annoying when you're a player but also you can abuse the ai because if you engage with the entire army then they can't move their troops so when you start a naval invasion from moscow or something and bang you've won the war right it's like yeah 
it, yeah. it, just removing micro is such an important thing. If they want to get the system right, they need to re- think seriously about the underlying problems of, of yeah. micromanagement. Speaking yeah. of which, one place where I feel like they went backwards in this patch, I think it's this patch, it may be, or no, it's definitely 1.5, is the way you now have to handle conscripts is yeah. you now have to assign them individually to armies. And I'm like, can't I just, I just want a button. You can still have the individual system. I want a button I press that tells the game when I hit mobilize, I just, for every regiment of regulars, I want you to raise X number of regiments of conscripts for the same type and apply them to this army. Yeah, like, be great. I want this army to double, triple, quadruple in size when I mobilize conscripts yep. so that I just need to come up with one formula. To be honest, I... I would be quite happy if they went and changed military formations and armies to where I just set the ratio between infantry, artillery, and cavalry and the size and yep. abstract brigades away. I don't care. Yep. Um, I just like this is a 100,000-man army that is 50% infantry, 25% artillery, and 25% cavalry, and I have little sliders. And yep. then when I add conscripts, I want it to double in size. Go. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, that'd be great. Yeah, I, I think that yeah, guess, you're right. It's just, it's just been a bit of a back a back step on that front because now it's a it's a lot of fiddling in a new system. It's a lot of fiddling. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I guess the one the one reason I'm not sure I would love that is that I do think when we're talking about like building up for a big punch, one thing, other thing I would like to be able to do, and maybe you could do this on that level of abstraction, is the idea of massing troops in material in a specific place Mm -hmm. either for an offensive or to shore up a defense which is not really something you can currently do you can't say i you know if i have a front that is you know across the mason dixon line i can't say i send more troops to the mississippi river like that's not not currently possible um yeah I, which I don't know. I feel like at that point you would have to probably have like a front painter, like they have an Hearts of Iron, and that might be too much. And that's a, that's a lot of micro too. Yeah, <laughs> that's a lot I feel of like micro. To, to advocate my blob system, right? You just send a, a yeah. an army blob. You just send an mission. extra blob. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is a better way of looking at it, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, the other, other issue. Have, yeah. Oh, go ahead. I wish that they were a little clearer on right. Is that so infantry through most of the game if you look at their offense and defense they're pretty close usually defense is stronger right and artillery is punchier and more offensive and so you can make an army that is designed like this army specifically is going to punch forward and achieve objectives you make it as artillery heavy as they'll let you before they hit you with penalties and that's yeah. how you make a punch offensive army. Mm-hmm. Whereas your defensive army, you just you want it more infantry heavy because then it will absorb morale hits forever and ever. Yeah. Amen. I think um, I think it's, a, it's that's like really. I, I yeah, they, they've done that. I think that's really counteractive to the design too, because again, you just open yeah. up a new front, open up a new front, and then you send your artillery army in, and then that yeah. artillery army beats the crap out of whatever they send there. And then while you're at right. the front, that's less important. They've sent like all their infantry to that front because you've got all your infantry on that front. Whereas, Whereas 
a crack team of artillery has has managed to, <laughs> yeah. has, has managed to punch into <laughs> especially because they've yeah they've split up field guns and siege artillery into different units now too so yeah. it's like what? if you can build siege artillery and your enemy can't it's like well we win this this time you, uh, you've basically yeah. made like the SAS but we've like <laughs> just made out of- <laughs> They're just yeah. pouring concrete I mean, like there's no tomorrow. Yeah. The it sort of makes sense in that in that right, like the the thing you would do before an offensive in the first world war is you would amass guns and munitions. You would concentrate yeah. your artillery where you intended to attack. And so I think that's what they're trying to get at. The problem is because the artillery is organic to these armies and really fiddly and difficult to transfer around, you're never like, ah, yes, I am going to concentrate all of my artillery here on the front. Like you, it doesn't, you don't have that kind of planning. Um, and maybe you shouldn't. Again, maybe that's a level of granularity that they just don't need. Um, and And honestly, for this game, I think... The goal really should be to avoid micro at at all costs. Yeah, um, like you should you should win or lose the battle, the war based on your laws and your economy and the alliances you set up. It really shouldn't be about moving armies. That's not the it's, kind of game this is. Yeah, it should yeah, and and like infrastructure and you know how how right. how well can you funnel meat to the front line and equipment basically. Right, right. I, I'd like, like I like sh- all these like extra systems. I would love to see like a better war support system where you can like flare up your population. Like there's a really fantastic Winston Churchill quote. Um, uh, let me see if I can find it. I think I had it written down here somewhere. Ah, oh, yeah, here we are. Yeah, in former days when wars arose from individual causes, uh, from the passions of a king, it was fought with small regular armies of professional soldiers, um, and suspended in the winter season. Uh, but now, when mighty populations are impelled on each other, each individual severely embittered and inflamed, when resources of science civilization sweep away that that might mitigate their fury, uh, a European war can only end in the ruin of the vanquished. Uh, democracy mm-hmm. is more vindictive than cabinets. The wars of peoples will be more terrible than those of kings. Now, I want to see that basically quote personified in Victoria Free, because this is the era when democracy became popular and therefore war became a lot more bloody because people had to be psyched up for war and they had to be like really passionate about alsace lorraine which right the historian in me will will point out that this isn't restricted to democracies right the autocracies do this too yes yeah yeah but and and weirdly this is actually something that victoria 2 did a bit better than victoria 2's late game you could end up with serious revanchist pressure Where politically, there were there were strong pressures pushing you towards war. They'd trigger all sorts of events that would push you towards war, but they'd also destabilize your politics, right? If that's you right. if you had unclaimed cores, it's like, do you want fascists? Because that's how you get fascists. Yeah, um, and also like uh, jingoism played a huge role in Victoria yeah. too. And, it wasn't particularly. And yeah, and I out. think they should yeah. bring that back. Um, yeah, and. And, you know, I think realistically, you probably want a sort of balance where on the one hand, going to war without a lot of that jingoism should make it really hard to mobilize your society effectively. On mm-hmm. the other hand, 
intentionally developing a lot of jingoism should, right? It's going to push you into wars you may not want. That's right. Yeah. 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 It, it could definitely go with what I think is my most desired Victoria three expansion, which is mass media. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's a huge part of the period that's currently yeah. missing that's outside right. of some one-off events. And that could be something where, okay, if I have a law in place where the government mostly controls the media, I can, I have a lot of power to rile people up. Um, whereas usually these days in this version of the game, you're kind of just beelining towards, you know, completely free speech and everything just because you get yeah. more technology from it. Um, and yeah. I, I would also in with that systems that destabilize your politics when you back down. Yes. One of, yeah. the, one of, one of the huge factors that leads to the outbreak of World War One was the feeling in both Russia and in Austria that their political systems would not survive backing down again. Um, that they had been beaten too many times and they simply could not take another lump or they would lose the faith of the people and everything would collapse and monarchy would fail. And of course, the great irony is that monarchy failed anyway. But that's why they went to war. And I'd love to see – and again, Victoria too had systems that pushed you like that. Um, one right. of the things that's I thought right. was really striking is in Victoria too, declaring that a crisis doesn't interest you had a – a prestige cost. That's right. And prestige mattered a lot in Vicky too. And it mattered a lot. Oh yeah. Prestige Whereas is here. Huge. Like, yeah. man, I am declaring neutrality every goddamn week. Like I just, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, there's a revolution in some now. And like, not Most every, like, you know, like has, has anyone in the game ever given a shit about the Oriental Oriental crisis? Like such a yeah. huge, <laughs> like no, no one gives a shit about it. Right? Another, <laughs> like, another thing I saw pointed out on Reddit that happens currently is that like, the Russo-Japanese war is very hard to win for the Japanese because other great powers get involved when really Russia should not be allowed to invite other great powers into that war without a huge prestige hit. Yeah. Because it's like, if we need backup to beat the Japanese, they're not even a recognized power. Like, no, they never would have like taken that hit to their pride to be like, Hey, France, can you please help us? Nor would France have been interested. I mean, (laughs) this is, yeah, this is one of the things yeah. that it, it's it's and again Victoria too did this with their tech system that there is between 1905 and 1914 a fundamental change in the way that the alliance systems of Europe work and yeah. that prior to that the understanding was that to be a great power meant that you could stand alone and that mm-hmm. you mostly did so this is Britain has no eternal friends only eternal interests glorious isolationism um, yeah yeah. yeah, indeed, the political science definition of a great power is a power that can stand alone on the world stage, that does mm-hmm. not require an ally or a patron. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it should be really the only situation in which a great power should be calling another great power ally is if they're being attacked by a great power i would almost make that a feature that like yeah. great power to great power alliances only work if the play against you is another great power yeah yeah i think we should all and tie the- into your pop system right i think like this is another problem with vicky free like a big downgrade from two is pops don't feel like they have an opinion or matter at all in 
Vicky free, basically. Um, <laughs> the politics of the pops is pretty much entirely dictated by the character that controls the interest group. And mm-hmm. the pops have very little say or care very, very little about what they want. Maybe they push back against a law that the player is pushed for. Uh, but there's very little. There's there's very few instances I can think of in, in Vicky where, like, you know, there's been a clamoring for democracy, um, for example, from from a population. Um, yeah. One there thing- is... There is a little bit of that now, but it's all behind the scenes, and I would love to see that yes. exposed well, and systematized. Well, it's all just like journal entries. Randomly, well, no, it'll be like a, a a a movement will pop up where it's or a petition will just pop up as a random event that like you had no idea that this was brewing, you had no way to influence it. It's just like, well, um, yeah, the landowners want to abolish homesteading yeah, yeah, yeah. and well, but, but, turn all of the yeoman farmers in the United States into tenant farmers. And it's like, this one doesn't make any sense. Right. You guys are trying to hold on to slavery, pushing back for like regressive land reforms is not going to help you. And two, just like, what the hell? Like, where did that come because, from? Because it's, yeah. it's all done through an event. This is a problem because right, right, uh, right, the way yeah. it works uh-huh. is like, I think like people... People complain a lot about patch. It was it patch one point uh, three, I think, was most of the people. Um, yeah. The agitators mm-hmm. obviously were not very good, but like um, we could talk about it later. But the um, I think the worst thing was the petition journal entries that they added because that happens. Like it's really stupid. There's because the politics of an interest group are entirely dictated by like the character that's ruling them, which is a random chance not by the pops themselves they have three set ideologies which often don't make any sense in fact almost in all cases don't make any sense like um for example why why are landowners of the north really pro-slavery in america why 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 are the intellectuals in britain like super egalitarian like that's it's not that wasn't the case at all why, why are the intellectuals anywhere in in western europe like super egalitarian they're pretty pretty uh they're pretty imperialistic in this time period but like um uh so so basically what what you have is um you get a for example i had, I had a game as japan and uh i put off a Meiji restoration because I wanted to get the Emperor Meiji. And then I got the industrialists in charge. And I was being basically a big patron to the industrialists. And patr- um, and I was I was pretending we were like the Saibatsu or something. And um, then randomly, uh, the industrialist leader died. Um, and then the industrial leader became a Republican. So every single industrialist in my country still became a Republican. And then they submitted a petition to, to make J- Japan a Republic. I was like, what? Where did this come from? This doesn't make any sense. It just it's just spawns yeah. randomly. It's just two random events. Yeah. There's nothing organic about I, it. So I have sort of two thoughts on this, which is one, I would like the pops, in addition to having attachment to a given ideological group, I would like each each individual pop to be able, if they're politically active, to have a a specific law change that they want. Mm-hmm. Um, and this might cause them to realign away from the expected ideological group. Um, you know, like, uh, you know, if you've got a farmer pop that for whatever reason you have some calculation in the background decides they really want commercialized agriculture, rich peasants, I don't know. Like mm-hmm. they're going to be uninterested in the rural folk who want homesteading. And maybe they back the industrialists instead, shifting the power of those groups. 
The second thing is for the love of God, make it transparent. Yep. There are so many cases where I'm like, huh, I have turmoil in this state and I have no idea why. Yeah. Like you can look at causes of radicalism at a state level, at like a country level, but not at a province by province level. Mm-hmm. And it's the latter thing that matters. And the game also treats all radicalism in so many ways. It treats radicalism as just like you have a pot of radicals. I, yeah. I, the game I've been playing since 1.5 is, is Austria. And this now becomes extraordinarily clear with Austria because every Italian miner has a button they can press that gives you a giant mess of radicals in Venice. Yeah. <laughs> and so like the 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 event for like um a specter is haunting Europe, the like oh no communists event pops up and it's progressing. And I realized immediately, like, despite the fact that my standard of living is very high, and I actually have fairly progressive labor laws, I have no chance of stopping this event from firing because it's based on how many radicals I have. And so it's reading all of the Italian separatists in Venice as if they are suddenly devotees of Karl Marx. <laughs> and again, it's, it's, yeah. a, it's another step back because I think the consciousness and radicalism mechanics in Vicky 2 were a lot better at modeling stuff. I mean, it wasn't perfect, but having yeah a universal radical or universal loyalist system. Yeah. Well, and I, yeah. Just, I just want to be able to open up the province view and one, yeah, this province has this many radicals for these reasons. Not how many radicals over the last month, this many radicals, and here is what radicalized them in numbers. And then mm. two, the people of this province want these law changes that would make them happier in these numbers. And that's like, the thing, though. They don't, the, they, they don't want war. <laughs> that's the thing. Right. No, I, first yeah, you yeah. have to add them to want law changes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's like the first step. Um, but I don't think that that's like an impossible thing to do. Well, this is a and problem And then they should, too, because they should like, realign to the political group that seems like it's going to push their change. I think um, pro- uh, like it, it might be impossible to do in the current framework, right? Because like one of the huge, I mean, Vicky Free has got huge performance problems, right? I mean, in my opinion, it's like the least of the problems, but it's, it's certainly a big problem. Um, and and w- one of the major causes um, for the... the uh, uh, performance is is pops at the moment take up a huge amount of processing power well of course um, you're simulating a few yeah, billion but, people that's yeah. right but like victoria too i feel like the pops are um are more alive in victoria too they have more opinions on stuff they you know they mm-hmm. if they they certainly feel more advanced than victoria free pops which are essentially just looking around for work most of the time that's that's most of where the processing power and stuff goes so there's um, also a third as many of them. Yeah. Right, yeah. In, in Vicky, Free, and Two, yeah. Right, because they abstracted out dependents. What are now called dependents in Victoria 3 were just assumed to be, you know, included in the number in Victoria 2. But right, I mean, Victoria 2 really only simulated male heads of household. Right. You didn't really have a population count. You had a household count multiplied by a number to give something that looked like a population. Yeah, but right. are, are, are dependents being calculated upon? Because I'm not particularly sure what they are, because they don't look for work they, or anything, I, do they? I mean, that's fair. I think, uh, I, I, I don't think that they actually are, like, actively engaged in, in the economy the way that 
enfranchised pops are for lack of a better term mm. um but there are laws that like influence your dependent ratio and there's also laws that influence dependent income like passing pensions means every household is getting a little bit of money per dependent that they have yeah but that's that's um, just like a calculation on a percentage right i mean right, I, yeah. I don't think that's um, like the source of well what so what it sounds like to what it sounds like to me is that one we need to have a way for interest groups to interact with the leaders in a way that is not just we follow you blindly now because you're the leader of our interest group. Like yeah. there yeah. needs yeah. to be a possibility of friction there. If you have, you know, American trade unions and then you bring in Karl Marx and Karl Marx becomes the leader of the trade unionist, it shouldn't immediately make every worker in the United <laughs> States a socialist. Yeah. Um, but also well, I feel <laughs> we're missing ahead. movements. Like we need movements as a distinct thing that can have a leader and have momentum and pops behind I'd, it I'd, I'd that is that. not specifically tied to interest groups. Yeah, but I just I just don't think whatever is happening with the with the pops at the moment is if they're using basically all the processing power of a video game to to look for jobs and stuff all the time. Like, if you add these systems, that I think we all want how bad sort of game performance is going to be. So I think some sort of like reworking to the pop system has to be done before you they're even start looking at these things. They. They are currently deciding what interest group they want to be a part of, because like you can have it's going to it's going to siphon off some educated aristocrats to go into the intelligentsia. Yeah, They're yeah. all going to go to the landowners. But as, as far so, as I'm aware, it's that's just a percentage of the pops. And that's, that's but I think you could do it that. Is specific pop, like it is pop by pop. And and it does yeah. seem like there are. There are pushes and pulls that you can see visible when you make those law reforms that actually say like pops will recalculate their interest groups when you they do they do recalculate their interest they do, groups. They do. but they, they do that in Vicky too also right I mean that's no 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 I I, I agree with you I'm yeah, just yeah. saying the calculation is already happening mm -hmm. it might be possible to make it more sophisticated without an enormous performance loss because you're already doing it. oh I see what you mean yeah. yeah. I think yeah. that's what Len is getting at, and and yeah. I agree that that seems like it it should be possible. I hope so. Also, yeah. I'm not going to lie, man. If a, a a more responsive political system comes at the cost of like I don't know some of the economic systems updating uh, half as often, um, fine. Well, that's yeah, a big I, thing I'd be that fine they though, did yeah. is yeah that the buildings don't. Buildings only try to hire once a week and they actually cash some of that um, unless the wages change significantly, which I think has, for me, it's improved performance noticeably in the late so, game. But, I feel like I should you know. say uh, I have a decently beefy PC. I have not experienced performance problems, I but I hear um, that other people have. Yeah. I mean, so like, a, I recognize it's an issue, but that's right, okay. I, I my my process is. Oh, pretty good but it's not like the best and i i i get lagged like you know later into the game like but i know other people stuff yeah me problems. too like we've been like, I, I have a ryzen i have a ryzen 7 but it's an older ryzen 7 mm -hmm. and i usually start getting performance problems around like 1908 ish mm. is when i start mm -hmm. to notice things slowing down yeah so yeah but so, um, basically 
yeah, pops pops need to be a lot more. Um, you know, they have to have to have politics. But I don't yeah, think this yeah. char- this the character based system that we got at the moment is not what I like about Victoria Two or the right. entire Victoria franchise. Right, I just I, I just don't like the way it works. I'd be pretty happy if they scrapped characters uh, from politics completely. To be honest, like. I think pops. I think politics in this era should be completely dominated by pops and popular interest. Yeah, um, I mean, I like I like having characters, but a character who is at the lead, the head of an interest group, should be emblematic of what that interest group already wanted, more than steering them in a specific direction. Yeah, um, I think yeah. you either have to. I think the character at the head of the interest group either has to be a vessel for the interest group's beliefs. Or you need to create the ability for interest groups to splinter and merge. Yes, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or kick, at least kick out a leader who is unpopular. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, like maybe you could have multiple characters with different opinions within an interest group. Maybe this is getting too complicated. Where oh, pops could decide which which one they want to put forward as their leader. Or just a situation where yeah. if the if the when communism hits, the trade union group should probably splinter. Yeah. Because you should probably end up with right an actually communist wing and then a traditional trade unionist wing. Oh yeah. Wings would be an interesting yeah. way to and, Yeah. And like that, I, I love to see that. And likewise, um uh to see I mean, these are often the dogs that don't bark in your politics, but the rural folk and the petite bourgeoisie, like those interest groups can just, they, they can be um, pleasantly Republican, uh, mm-hmm. especially the petite bourgeoisie, or they can just go fascist depending on who their leader is. And I'm like, yeah. that should really be a splintering or a wing sort of process. Yeah. That's right. yeah. Like, I get it that these groups don't like foreigners. And I get why, given who they are in these societies at this time, um, that makes sense. But like how that's going to express itself should should probably um, be developed more instead of this binary. Well, what kind of leader did they give? Because of course, the other thing is when you're playing, uh, you know, you've got censorship and like the secret police, and you get a good or a bad leader. It really does lead the player to wonder, like can i just knock this guy off like i have four levels in secret police i feel like i should be in control of who the leader of this interest (laughs) group is yeah well yeah you should have i think to stop it from having like okay now i have 30 interest groups in my country i think the way i might do it that would preserve some of the elegant simplicity would be to have every interest group can develop multiple wings and one of them is dominant at any Mm -hmm. time yeah, and that's partly based on the popularity of the leader of that wing, but also part partly based on how many of the pops in this interest group actually support well, that thought, wing. So you know, and their radicalism. You could actually do yeah, something with yeah, radicalism, yeah. right? Like, like they'll lean towards social democracy if they're less radical, and yes. they'll lean towards communism if they're more radical. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'd be happy with just having a split and having a lot more interest groups. I, if I'm honest, like I like, for example, like <laughs> like landowners, for example, like I can think of like like in America, like the northern landowners and southern landowners, very different politics, right? Yeah. Um, you know, having a split in that Japan before a major restoration, I mean, like it's it's a bit stupid at the moment, but like it really does feel like in the United States, and yeah, you should have. 
sorry. sorry. In the U.S., it really does feel like you should have two interest groups, right? You should have landowners and slaveholders. That's right. Yeah. And yes, yeah. all the slaveholders are landowners, right? But like, there's a relevant, a relevant distinction. And winning the Civil War should make the slaveholder interest group poof out of existence. Yeah. It ceases yeah. to exist. Um, and because yeah, that's like that's a huge, huge distinction. Likewise, the like seamless transition in Austria from the Austrian aristocracy becoming the landholder interest group. And I'm like, I mean, now like, wait a minute, right? Like you get the same thing in Prussia, like landholders and the Junkers were not the same group of people. That's right. Yeah. No, no. Well, and it would make sense at least maybe to have, if you were going to go the route of adding more interest groups, I would say that certain countries that have currently a special flavored interest group, that maybe that should be split off as its own interest group instead mm-hmm. of just replacing one of the vanilla ones. I agree, yeah. And I think um, there should be a lot yeah. more. But I feel, like, I feel like the idea of interest group with wings and one wing is dominant actually um, like could work really well because then you have like, okay, yes, you have a lot of landowners who are not Junkers, mm-hmm. but the Junkers lead this interest group because of their clout. And maybe if you reduced that clout, they would go from being the leading element to the trailing element of this interest group. And that could really change your politics. Like mm-hmm. that would be a really interesting system. Yeah, yeah. that would be cool. Um, Though I think if you do that, and this is going to explode people's heads, the industrialists and the landholders should probably be two factions in the same interest group. Maybe, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, um, and the moment where the politics of capital stops being the politics of owners of farms and becomes the politics of owners of factories would be then a critical break point. Right. As it historically was in most countries. I mean, the other way of doing it too is just go with a Vicky two system of just bring back the party system. I, I'm not yeah. particularly enamored with the, the uh, interest group system because I, uh, for this, the universal system of interest groups doesn't work when you play it's like, most things if they've tried mm-hmm. to like uh fit every single country into to one one system and it hasn't worked at all like um <laughs> so just having having unique uh political parties and having people yeah. aligned to the political parties rather than um well i think the, the problem there is if you're not a democracy political parties don't make a lot of sense like Sure, I, but I think it can it can have like a sort of yeah. tendency. I mean, like the Mensheviks or something. Yeah. It's still organized under the Fazar, right? But like, yeah. um, they could they could turn what are currently called interest groups into something that is maybe more like political mm-hmm. parties from Vicky too. Mm-hmm. I do like I do like interest groups better than just the Victoria Two method of having political parties. Personally, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think you could split this difference pretty easily if you make interest groups defined not by who's in them, but by what their positions are. Like the trade union group isn't the group of laborers. It is the group that supports trade unions. That's right. Um, And that that has some (laughs) policy implications. And and then, yeah, that's obviously going to attract a lot of laborers, but it's it's about the policies they prefer, not who they are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that that might be a performance problem, I would have to ask. I'd have to ask Martin if that's viable because then you would also have to be tracking what percentage of a pop holds this specific policy position or a bunch of different policy positions. But uh, Again, yeah, I think there's like, there's got to be a if, happy medium somewhere. Yeah, 
if yeah. if I, if some parts of the economy has to has to be sacrificed, like um, I, I'm I'm fine. I'd, I'd much rather like a, a more robust political system than we have now. Yeah, over, look, if this melt if yeah. this melts Len's computer, that's a sacrifice I am willing to make. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, it's not like I need it for my job or anything. I'll just become <laughs> a radical. I'll become more radical than I already am. I'll. I'll go full tanky or whatever. Um, one, <laughs> Never yeah, go uh, full tanky. No. One thing that um, has been added with Pops, I think it was like, I think the last really good patch was patch 1.2, which added the autonomous investment. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I think that was, that was such, really good. such a good step forward. But curiously, it's the only addition that you can really like turn off of the game options. Which I find a little um, bit interesting. <laughs> like, is I, it? I I think autonomous investment is such a band aid solution right now. Yes. Yeah. Like the fact that it is arbitrarily set at like twenty five, fifty, or seventy five percent of your construction <laughs> yeah, capacity. Think, yeah. Based on your economic laws, like, <laughs> I, no, like <laughs> I <laughs> should right. I should be able to direct it somewhat by subsidizing certain things. Or That's if I'm running yeah. a command economy, we it should just work like 1.0. But most countries, like I don't, I know that this is a line in the sand. They have said they don't want to cross. But I think in a capitalist country, you shouldn't really be directly building things. Except, I agree, except infrastructure. I completely agree, and this is the core <laughs> problem, which is yeah. another the other thing that people bounce off of, apart from like um, warfare, is the core gameplay loop, and the core gameplay loop is essentially. Luck onto your economy, find out which resources you're low on, click the building, go back to your economy screen, click the building, go back to your it's it's just clicky back in yeah. buildings. It's like um I mean my 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 friend was very uncharitable, really bounced off the game, played it very recently and Are you talking about Lambert? No, 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 no. Another friend. Okay. Lam- Lambert <laughs> Lambert would be a lot less uh, forgiving. He said he could he said he would come on this episode to rant for ten minutes and then he was gonna leave. <laughs> so right. um Which is fair, because like Lambert is uh, uh, I think he's he's uh, bounced off it harder than most people, but I don't think he's an yeah. anomaly, right? I mean people have bounced off it as hard as Lambert, and I know a lot of people who have, right? And who are just not interested and they don't have any hope in the game anymore. But this is a friend who had like a, a, maybe a scintling of hope that it'll get better over the course of a year. Uh, but they described it as like uh, a cookie clicker game, clicker, a cookie clicker game masquerading as a a tycoon game masquerading as a uh, strategy game. Because basically, yeah. you're you're doing a cookie clicker game to build up your economy by building little buildings like you would in a tycoon game. But remember, it's like a but you do yeah, it on a map. They're... And that's what the core there, gameplay loop is. I mean, it pretty much summed it up. Um, there has to be there has to be a more interesting way to interact with that economic layer than what we have right now. Yeah. Well, I'm I think, not sure. I, I we've been playing armchair game designer this entire episode, so I'm not sure like what that would I mean, look like that would actually work. But I think the, the big problem yeah. is like what I'd like to call like primary and secondary control. Right? Victoria Free mm. has loads of primary control and by that i mean like the player clicks a button and gets an instant result of what they want whereas i like secondary control in victoria 2 where you do something and then it turns a gear that sets something in motion but gets a result that you might want i lower tariffs or something i get cheaper goods that means i get like more like less less people are uh you know kicking off or whatever 
uh, or to, to increase, um, like I increase my education funding, which means I get more clerics, which means I get more literate pops, which means as a result, I get higher uh, tech growth rather yeah. than like in Victoria Free where I, I build a university. Bam, done. Yeah. The tricky thing, of course, is that the the optimal play that that produced in Victoria 2 was this intentional whipsawing between economic laws yeah. so that you would you would build all your factories and then whip over to laissez-faire because <laughs> the right, yeah. in-game AI was terrible at choosing factories and because people want that level of of control um, mm. i i'm actually pretty satisfied with the the economic simulation um, with the exception that I think they added um, more localized pricing in 1.5. I think more localized pricing is good, but I want to see more granularity. Um, the fact that the, I mean, they're basically imposing transport costs. That makes sense. The fact that it is not sensitive to how many railroads I have seems a little silly. And the fact yeah. that the cost to transport fine art and steel <laughs> yeah. is the same. Yeah. Weight, like, like, <laughs> weight, uh, weight doesn't matter and distance doesn't matter. It yeah. doesn't matter how far it's going. I'm, it's just yeah. it had to go, it had to go. somewhere, so you're adding an extra cost on top. I'm yeah. vaguely okay with distance not mattering on the grounds yeah. that you don't want to melt the player's head having to calculate all sorts of nonsense. But it really seems to me like it would be relatively easy. Like right now... If you have the like one tech that influences it, everything has a fifteen percent um, right. Uh, it's eighty-five percent general market and fifteen percent local, unless it can't be in the general market at all, like services. And I'm like, how hard would it be to say that wine really only has like a two or five percent local impact, but bulk coal has a thirty percent impact because mm -hmm. you can't transport it readily or as readily because it's bulky and you could arrange goods on a spectrum and so a player could be like you know it makes a lot of sense that i have this iron and coal province i should put my steel mill there and my tool mill there mm -hmm. and then ship the tools yeah rather yeah. than shipping the bulk iron and to be fair the system they have created does incentivize that choice right now because it's a question of how many times do you eat the price differential? You want as much of the production chain in one place as you can get for the final good so that you eat the shipping cost as few times as possible along the line. That's that's good. I like that system, but like that should be a lot more important for making artillery and a lot less important for making furniture. Yeah. yeah. Well, and the, also the other thing they have not added to the UI is it is... It is very hard to tell currently which states are suffering specifically because they have low transportation, electricity, or services. Yes. In a, especially in a large country. They made yes. that change, but they did not add UI to support it. Yep. Yep. Um, which I would like There's to see. There's a lot of... I between the radicalism systems and pop needs and so on, there's just... There's a lot of like, we need more info views, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's, there are I, cases where there, there clearly is you can dig down into the it's spreadsheets of pops and you realize there's a lot going on under the hood here that you refuse to show me 
Yeah, that's um, oh god, yeah, that's. I mean, it's UI grapes too. Like, like I don't know yeah. what the aversion is to showing data. I, I like why? Why have I got, for example, that orb at the top of the screen? I hate that bloody orb. Let me turn it off. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I'm playing a paradox game. I'm not scared of numbers, right? Just give me all the information. I no. like I like the information on hand. I don't want to go through five yeah. nasty tooltips to get basic information. Just I give am- it to me. It's not scary. Like people who play these games, it's it's you know, it's not like a Fisher Price toy or something, right? People are, <laughs> people buy these games because they're interested in something that's challenging. And um, the thing that's <laughs> bonkers to me is that in every game where they've taken away the ledger. You've seen the yeah. cries to bring back the ledger. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just give great. us the ledger. The ledger is fine. Look, <laughs> yeah. put it in the corner. I don't have to use it if I don't want to, but I guarantee I will want to. That's right. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Victoria 3 weirdly has a partial ledger. It has the ledger that only shows you prestige, standard of living, and GDP. Yeah, I give me you, give me Vicky Two's like twenty seven page ledger. Yeah, yeah, is am what I I'm crazy, asking. Am I crazy or did it used to have GDP per capita and now it doesn't? I think they might have actually removed. I don't think I don't think it ever. I don't think it ever did. It also, did. I'm just gonna express some frustration in that they give you these little time graphs under individual stats, uh-huh. but you can't like click on that. And you know what? Can I yeah. graph this over a set period of time? against these three other countries. Yeah. Yeah. I know you have recorded that information. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. there. Let me see it. Yeah, that's right. But what so, so- <laughs> but no, instead the UI is taken up by like these uh well things I personally hate, these massive 3D portraits. Like I don't care about them, right? I don't care about the, my peasant holding a parasol who, who looks identical to every other peasant in my country. I mean, I'm I'm an RP person, so I do like that. But I do I like get, that. I get what you're saying. <laughs> like, um, doesn't give me data. Especially, so, so once again, little little things that they spent a lot of time on. Uh, we were ta- talking about this with regard to Starfield earlier, but they now have that South American pops will wear carnival costumes during carnival. <laughs> I, so, I didn't hear that. Yeah. <laughs> was that the, was it? You know, you well, know, I have actually, actually, I have thought up of the great <laughs> compromise that we can draw design inspiration to compromise Len's desire for pops and our desire for a ledger um, from that design classic stronghold, have a pop holding the ledger. <laughs> <laughs> you click it and, and they actually turn the page. Uh, no, no, yeah, no, they okay. turn the page, I'll, they I'll, say I'll, something, the peasants are starving, my lord. Like, yeah, no, exactly. On, on one condition, that we maintain the fact that the, the pop in the corner smiles or is unhappy. Based on the radicalism of your pops and yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so here here's a thought because I was thinking over, uh, you know, Loris, your comment about indirect control of the economy. I think it would be cruel if, say, you have laissez-faire enabled. Mm-hmm. Um, it reduces the startup cost of a business, basically. Like they would have to consume. What is currently being consumed by your construction sectors would just become they need this much wood and this much iron to start a business. And so under laissez-faire, they get the best possible price for that, and you have very little influence over it. Mm -hmm. On the more restrictive economy laws, it would still be it would still be for the most part 
automated private construction, but the startup cost would be a little bit higher. And you could, instead of click a button, make a lumber mill, you could click a button that's like, okay, I want to subsidize. I want more lumber. Lumber, lumber in Michigan. That's right. And I that would also that. tell the yeah. AI to build there. That's right. That would come out of your budget, your yep. government budget. Yep. This is almost exactly dis- what Vicky too did, though. Yeah, and, and with the amount of discount they get for starting a lumber company in Michigan, you know, for a certain period of time would be based on, you know, whatever, whatever your current economic law is. That's right. Yeah. And then again, once you get to command economy, it would just work the way the game does now. (laughs) That's right. You have to actually build up construction sectors that are government owned and you're doing everything manually. Yeah. I mean, I would like, even with, uh, I would, I'd like just, I don't know. I can't think of a system that could work, but I think doing everything manually has scaling problems. So when you do get to a command economy and you're playing Russia, for example, Vicky too had this problem where like it's so annoying to deal with like just constantly clicking around and playing on speed. Give, one. give it to vassals. A point. Yeah, a point yeah. An oils. An oils are. That's he right. Can, he can decide where to build more oil wells. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And also take control, manual control away from like the um, uh, God, what are they called production methods from the uh, the buildings. Fitting around with those is a real pain in the ass too. Like. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, Especially since they I, take no time to change over, it's just like that's right. yesterday we weren't. Yesterday we were making steel this way. Tomorrow Bessemer process nine a.m. That's, that's right. But also, <laughs> we could, I I often yeah. it, I turn I turn it on and then turn it off, like just just to test if it was profitable. So I've got like yeah. I've got my steel mills. It's like bang, we were massive Bessemer process. Ah, uh, we, we yeah. had it for a day. Wasn't making a profit. Scrap it all. Yeah. We're back to blistering, lads. Back to blistering. <laughs> no, there should be a cost, and you should it should take time to refit the building. That's right. Use mm. the new and it should method, maybe also yeah. like be partial like why is every single steel plant in my country uh like switching over all at once like well you could do it why, by is, state, why is it not like but, yeah you know. do it by like stage i would say like i don't know like say if you've got 10 steel mills in yorkshire like maybe like 20 percent of them is doing uh, a bessemer process and the other yeah 80 percent is i mean you can do that system. you can do that uh, no because i mean you, you can only go- do it on the state level right you that's true. You can only do it state by state. Yeah, you can't do it. Yeah. You can't do it within a state. But like, I mean, that's like a standard part of like when you're rolling out a new resource. Like you've just gotten oil, and you're yeah. flipping over buildings to oil. Like there's, it's almost like a fiddly. Okay, how many buildings can <laughs> I flip over to using oil before yeah. it catches up with my supply and stops being profitable and that's so right. on. So like, say and, if you've got like uh, like a province like Yorkshire, which is maybe like it's a coal producing province, you got a lot of steel there. I've got like 20 yeah. steel plants. Like it's not going to be profitable to do it. So I, I, I switched over like all my little steel power plants. Yes. Into, first. Which, yes. Yeah. Which I don't really like. I like, I like the idea of having a percentage slider. Bring back a slider. Come on. Yeah. I want a slider. Yeah. Um, yeah. Why are they now, so averse to sliders? They work really well. I yeah. don't like sliders. We, we, we're <laughs> divided on sliders. Uh, I mean, I like them if they have stops, but I get to, I get to like, ocd about it if i could just put it anywhere i like it I more if there's like yeah five percent like i like the taxes having five levels instead mm-hmm. in in vicky mm-hmm. three instead of a tax slider that i can find too and that's i need i need it to be a little bit more fisher price than that for my brain <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i will um, admit 
I, I feel like I need to say, like, I actually still really enjoy the economic side of this game, but then again, like, yeah. I'm also a factorial player, so, like, as yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> like, the I mean, fiddly bits, I'm just like, okay, yeah, no, that's what I'm what I'm here for, and in the end, watching the GDP line go up yeah. um, gives me the dopamine hit. The thing um, is, like, I, I'm, I'm the same, right? And I feel like um, with Vicky, the itches that it scratches, I get a better scratch out of a game that's completely different, which is Anno 1800, right? Like, um, mm. I feel like the resource management, the logistics, the economy side of Anno 1800, even like the feel of industrializing in Anno 1800 feels more like I'm industrializing than it ever has in Anno 1800. So I feel like, uh, sorry, in, in Vicky. Um, Interesting. So I feel like Vicky needs... So at least for politics the, and stuff, and maybe push, the thing, it won't won't ever be Anno. That's what I'm saying. The economy. Well, the says. thing with the thing with Anno for me is it's always been very abstract. Like it's not trying to present. This is the actual 1800s. It's that's right. kind of like a, a it's like a board game about the 1800s, sort of like. Yeah. So as like an RP dork, it does not scratch the same itches for me that that Vicky that's, does. That's right. Of, yeah, I think that's where Vicky can train, right? But I don't feel like it does the yeah. RP stuff as well as it could. Yeah, and um, it also, um, I I I do still really like it as as like a national gardening simulator. Um, it's sort of it's fallen into the same niche for me as like Stellaris, where it's like I'm gonna come back to it every patch and maybe play a campaign or two. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I love the moment when I can just switch over to anarchism and see all of my higher strata pops disappear and all my lower strata pops jump up it's, to like 22 standard of living and you know actually i think i think like it, <laughs> there's not enough external pressure currently to stop me from doing that especially if i'm switzerland and monarchist france is right next door and they're like that's probably nothing they're not going to get any ideas only like a third of the population speaks french there they're not going to tell our peasants how great anarchism is mm. um so you know yeah, yeah. Um, uh, like I've yeah. I've always described myself as like uh, somebody who likes gardening games when it comes to like uh, yeah. paradox games. Um, uh, and like I just don't think Vicky Free is a very good gardening game. Like it's really I disagree. Like, I I really like it. No, because it doesn't feel like you're tending something, right? I mean, like the thing what I like about Victoria Two's gardening game is that you 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 slowly tend your pop pots. And that is your garden, essentially. Um, say if you want to become a communist country in... Uh, oh, I, I'll tell you what, a better example. Um, say if you want to do the ultimate gardening challenge, right, and become a monarchist USA. You really have to tend your uh, reactionaries in a certain way in Vicky to, to like kick off at a certain time, get your presidential dictatorship, and kick off again to make that presidential dictator a monarch. And then the USA falls apart. You have to hold that together because pops don't particularly like being under a monarchy in the United States. And Vicky, um, whereas in Vicky Free, we're not like, we're not we're not traditionally fans of monarchy. No, no, uh, <laughs> no, quite famously. <laughs> but like in Vicky Free, you just uh, you you uh, you click a button, and you get the result you want. You don't feel I don't feel like I'm tending anything. I feel like I've I, I guess a gardening equivalent. I've gone down the um, garden center and bought a potted plant, and I maybe buy another potted plant. This is what I feel like. I don't feel like I'm tending anything. I don't feel like the game has a life of its own. I'm just I mean, putting inputs and getting stuff out. I, I'm getting no like 
there's no life in it. No life. So in my I mean, plants. for me, I kind of feel a contrast. One of my great frustrations with Victoria too is that it was often very hard to know unless you knew the not not the social forces, but the mechanics through and through and knew how to exploit them. And then we're prepared to do like 12 runs to get the right random number drop. It was often very hard to work towards an intended political outcome. And one of the yeah. things I actually like about Vicky 3's political system is that it's often much clearer with a basic understanding of the system of here is where I am, here is where I want to go. Here is how I can push that way and what's going to push back against me and what the costs will be. Mm. And I, I think that's actually a, a significant improvement. Um, I know. I think it's such a too, too simplified. Like I just, I just, for example, I just don't feel like for, if you're going communist, for example, you want to make communist lit, you know, to be fair, right I think the game does need to push back much harder against yes. radical government changes. Yes. And definitely <laughs> if you go anarchist, communist, or fascist, like some of your neighbors should be upset and should think about doing something about it. Yeah. Uh-huh. I just, I don't think this like uh, the way of like slowly reforming into every sort of system by clicking that. I mean, no one likes the, the law system, but like slowly clicking the, the siege rolls is very good at all, right? I mean, like, I feel like, I know, I want to have like revolutions and stuff. I want to have yeah. like a communist revolution, like install a communist. And I don't particularly want to have a system where like, uh, oh, to, to have a communist uh, state, I have to reform five different laws. I have to make like, and do besiege roles and just get lucky. Part, and part of it interesting. is, it, yeah, part of it ties directly back into bringing it full circle warfare because the way civil wars work currently just sucks oh it's a bloody nightmare um, yeah it, it kind of doesn't work if you're a cert if you're not a very specific size of country mm-hmm. it, it's like too big or too small civil wars are just turning into nonsense really yeah. easily that's right um, and, I, and i would say yeah. it really does feel like there ought to be some political changes that probably can't happen peacefully like that's right monarchies slowly slowly becoming liberal democratic constitutional monarchies is a thing that happened historically without violence uh countries going fascist or communist or monarchies being abolished generally does not happen peacefully that's right and it's yeah 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 in general like well constitutional monarchies just admitted like you know pops were sated with constitutional monarchies right you know we don't we have a democracy but we've got a monarch right? mm. people are happy well, but like you know yeah um because like my my control run that i always try to do is anarchist switzerland that's like what tells me how how does this patch of victoria 3 work yeah. and the way it works currently is that um you pass guaranteed liberties you get it to level five and then the landowners who are being dispossessed of their property to start anarchist communes take all of their concerns to the courts that are lawfully appointed and they don't start a civil war and then you have anarchy. Yeah. <laughs> because your civil rights are just so good that they went through legal channels to express express their displeasure. You know what I think um, it is? Like I, yeah. It's Maybe. also a little weird to me as a side note that guaranteed liberties 
does not apparently include property protections, which is absolutely <laughs> how that phrase would have That's been understood right. by everyone in this period. It's also that one of the, those liberties is property. Yeah, it's also the same category of laws as like secret police. Like, I'm not even sure what this law category is supposed to be necessarily. And the answer is <laughs> laws that deal with radicalism and turmoil. Yeah, yeah. But like, yeah. that's a really gamey category, and yeah, I think that should be kind of split up a little bit too. Well, yeah, it's, uh, yeah the gaminess, I think the, I think the reason, the underlying reason why revolutions are not like this is because revolutions are seen, if you look at it from like a game perspective, as like a punishment. That's what revolutions are at the moment. They're like a punishment for yeah not doing your siege roles you so you, <laughs> the players being punished for not engaging with a, a particularly bad mechanic uh, which is a siege role law which thing. is odd because now with the new revolution system you're given choices to push a revolution forward you're given yeah. the options now to make it happen <laughs> that's right um, yeah. but what's the, what advantage does it have but why would you <laughs> yeah exactly. it's they have like they have built half of the bridge to a solution it's like you need you need the other half i see where you're <laughs> going also, but i now need a reason to want to press this button i was absolutely baffled when they added like the uh, that because that's it's they basically added <laughs> they added oh we're going to update revolutions we're going to add uh what was called the what, a revolution timer or something it was called and it's like they've, they've added law, the law siege to revolutions, and they haven't, they haven't, they haven't fixed what makes revolutions not feel revolutionary. Yeah. Like revolutions don't feel revolutionary, and what now I have to deal with another bloody EU four siege while I'm leading up to the revolution? Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. Well, but like before we wrap up, I know this has mostly been a criticism cast, which again is largely because I think all of us want Victoria three to be the best game it possibly can be. Yeah. And, you know, we want it to improve and, you know, we have some thoughts on that. Um, I do want to give 1.5 credit. I love that you can actually see guys on the map now. Yeah. Yeah. When you're fighting a war, that was so ridiculous that like, you just couldn't see your, your armies at all in. And it looks, it looks beautiful. And I like the, the, that troops have a physical location now. Yeah. They have to actually move. It mm-hmm. actually matters if they have to cross the Amazon yep. rainforest yep. to get to a fr- I don't think siege artillery should even be able to do that unless you've built a railroad through the rainforest. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but, as <laughs> like my, but as my friend said holy, yeah. just before she uninstalled yeah. Victoria Free yeah. again after playing 1.5, having troops appear on yeah. a map is not a good enough selling point for a grand strategy game. That should be the baseline, right? I mean... Like having yeah. troops have a physical location and like it, of a map. it really. Spread I don't Facebook. know, man. Don't tell that. Don't tell that to the Hearts of Iron Four players who are still some of them extremely angry that troops do appear on the map instead of little I think there is actually a mod that removes the 3D unit models and really? replaces them with flat NATO counters. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So. Um, uh i'm curious brett are you still playing right now do you think you'll continue to play this patch for a while yeah um i i've got an austria game going uh i i plan to take a crack at at brazil um in like what little playtime i have i'm enjoying it um yeah, yeah. I, I i like it 
uh, and then on the other end of the spectrum, Loris, I asked you how you were feeling about 1.5, and you sent me a reaction ma- image that I have now stolen and used for multiple other things. That is, <laughs> man who thought he had lost all hope lost la- loses last little bit of hope he didn't know. He still had. <laughs> so I'm curious, like, what would what what dev diary like? You wake up it's, and it's in it's your perfect reality. What what would that dev diary have to say to give you hope about the direction Victoria Three is? I, I mean, what what I think prompted that sending it was when the company dev diary came out, and I thought, well, this is what is it? Just a, you click a modifier and you get a, like an EU four <laughs> boost. It's nothing yeah, I it's want out of companies. Modifiers. I just don't want it's modifier stacking. It's yeah, just nothing I want from Victoria Free and the yeah. company because literally nothing redeemable about it apart from the, the, the 2D icons and companies. Especially because they don't want anything. Like if companies yeah. had agency and they were pushing you towards that's hey, what, maybe you should invade Central America <laughs> so that we can that's what get, I want. get some more fruit. Yeah. That's what I want. Oh, I want United want, Fruit. Uh, yeah. Agency. I want agency. I want agency yeah. in my pops. I want, I want to feel like I'm interacting with something that's living and guiding something. I want victoria free to be like victoria 2 where i feel like by doing uh by uh i like managing a company is like pushing a big jelly up a hill you know i'm pushing on one side the other bit flops over so i have to push on the other side i'm trying to get this jelly up a hill and it's a bit of a struggle but it's good fun because this i've got something is pushing against me i don't get that with victoria at the moment i still play it because i'm hopelessly addicted to the victorian era um, so I will punish my like for my sins. I just sit there and just play Victoria Free and just get angry at what it could have been. <laughs> but at least I get to see a choo choo train go up and down a map, which fills me with joy uh, no that, matter what game. That it's feels in. like that feels like me with World of Warcraft, just because I I packed bonded with that Warcraft Two Tides of Darkness disc when I was like five, and now it's like. I, I will continue playing WoW forever, no matter how mad I am that it's not a different game. <laughs> yeah, um, same yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, God, I do not have the time in the day for that. Yeah. I guess I, if I, I did, I, I would still I be playing. I don't even. <laughs> I don't even. I'm still doing it. Yeah. Well, like I said, Victoria 3 at this point, it, it has gone from at 1.0 where I was like, oh, after the after that first month or so, I was like, I, I think I didn't play it for like six months or something. Yeah. To now where it's like it's kind of in the same category with Hearts of Iron Four and Stellaris, where it's like I'm gonna come back to it once per expansion or once per major patch to see what's going on. I would love it to become more like Crusader Kings or Europa Universalis, where I just am constantly playing it. I never stop playing it. But clearly it has a ways to go before yeah. it becomes that game. Um, I, w- I want to be in a situation where, like, with Solaris, if somebody yeah. says, like, yeah, our new expansions, I'm really excited because I know it's a good game and I got new content from a good game. Like, Victoria 3 is, like, yeah. I, I log into every patch. It's like, have they fixed everything yet? Like, that's... I don't, wanna, I don't want a situation where it's, like, I I want to log into Victoria 3 and it's, like, great, new content for the game I love um, that I can play with my friends. Right, right. Yeah. Um... <clears throat> Brett, do you have any blog entries that you would point Victoria fans towards? Um, you know, I haven't really gotten back to that period since I did my treatment of Victoria three a year ago. Um, so so not necessarily, to be honest. Um, I've mostly been talking about ancient weapons lately. 
um, which is more of an imperator kind of thing. <laughs> well, I, th- I think there's plenty of overlap within the three MA audience for that kind of stuff. I, I would uh, guess. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and where can people find that? Uh, people can find that on my blog, a collection of unmitigated pedantry, A-C-O-U-P dot blog. I am also on Twitter and Blue Sky and theoretically Mastodon under my <laughs> real world name. I think, I think everybody who's on Mastodon is at best theoretically on Mastodon. I'm not sure yet. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, the, the, the issue is now I have people telling me I need to be on threads and I'm like, no, no, uh, no, no, no more. If there's no chronological timeline, I don't want it. If it's all algorithm driven, I'm not going. I'm I'm not going there. Um, <laughs> I'm just, I just, Twitter just needs to hold on a little bit longer. I started the joke ages ago um, of doing the, the follower count is the year. And I joked at the time, you know, what will we do when we get to the grim, dark future where there is only war? And I am now painfully <laughs> yes. close. And so Twitter just needs to hold on just long enough. We are past the Horus heresy at this point. <laughs> yes. um, so just a little bit, oh. just a little bit longer. And then it can and should die. Uh, Loris, where can people find you on the internet? Um, you can go to my website, chapelcomic.com. Um, I'm Father Loris on Twitter and on Reddit and stuff. Um, yeah, just make little comics. Hopefully do a Vicky comic when this um, podcast comes out. So maybe you've come oh, yeah. here out of the Reddit comments of my comic. And if so, um, you've got terrible taste. So... Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, well, you, ain't, um, you ain't getting these hours of your life back. That's for sure. Yeah, and we even talked. We talked for like twenty minutes about Starfield before I even pressed record. I, I wish I had kept it just so I could have tagged it onto the end as like bonus content. But uh, yeah, um, three moves ahead is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can head over to idlethumbs.net/slash3ma. You're also at 3MA on Twitter. We are 3MA.bisky.social on Blue Sky. Um, we don't have a Mastodon. We probably, I don't know. If a lot of people ask for it, maybe we'll make a Mastodon. But uh, so far, zero people have asked for us to go to Mastodon. <laughs> Sounds about like Mastodon, yeah. Yeah, I have. I do have a personal one over there, except I think the instance I was on uh, got, like, deleted because of infighting so i don't know <laughs> cool. what the status of recovering my account from there cool. is. that's but, what i really um, wanted i want a twitter a twitter replacement but it's got discord infighting that's what i really wanted yeah exactly yeah <laughs> you, you you gotta have you gotta have schisms or it's not a real website <laughs> um yeah uh patreon.com slash 3ma uh we're supported by listeners like you I am interviewing this weekend uh, the developer of Dot Age that we just did an episode on. And then next month, of course, is going to be our big blowout for Ridley Scott's Napoleon. Um, so we've got some very good bonus episodes coming up. Uh, episode was produced by me. Um, I should remember to thank our Patreon producers. I, I, I haven't been remembering to do that every week. Uh, including Mark M and Bucktown, the party whip of 3MA multiplayer RTS sessions, who has been doing his job as party whip because we are, in fact, playing some multiplayer RTS this weekend. Uh, If you're listening to this on Saturday, when it probably will get posted, you have about 24 hours to subscribe to the Patreon and get in on that. Um, 
So yeah, that's going to do it for this week. Uh, for Brett and for Father Loris, this is Len saying goodnight. Night-night.